Good evening. I'd like to start with a motivation. In our world, we had a number of very powerful people, such as Hitler, Stalin, Mao Zedong. And still, we are facing powerful people in this world who misuse their power. They achieved the power due to the merit that they have collected in previous lives. But instead to use the positive power of their mind, they used or use it um, for destructive activities. They have set themselves up for negative goals that lead or leads to catastrophic results that affected or affects millions of people. Buddha Shakyamuni was once just like we, a common human being, but he created the causes for that enabled him to use his mind, to develop it in a very positive way. He is an example for what is possible to develop on the basis of a human life. If we respect and act according to the law of cause and effect, we can make huge progress and become a Buddha ourselves. So it can be very helpful to bring both ways to mind. The negative one that is symbolized through persons like Hitler and the positive way of life that Buddha Shakyamuni represents who made the optimal use of his precious human life. The two ways are possibilities how to lead our life. It's our decision what life we want to live. We may think that Buddha's capacities and abilities are way over our head, but if we go step by step, we can change our way of thinking and develop positive qualities such as compassion. So even at the beginning of our practice in training our mind, We will recognize the benefits that it brings to ourselves, our family, our friends, our community, to our country, to the whole world. And if we apply the Buddha's teachings to our life, we will see immediate effects, such as more, a more balanced mind, joy, more clarity, our relationships to others will be better will improve and our life in general can become more balanced. The differences in how we think can be shown through an example. Assume there are three thirsty people but only one glass of water. One possibility would be that all three grasp towards the water but only one will get the glass of water and the others will go empty-handed. But actually, the more intelligent one will beg up and offer the waters, water to the others. So this act, he or she might suffer in short term, but in long term, there are more benefits to it. From the perspective of karma, he or she gains a lot of merit through the selfless act. So, so we may not see any short-term benefit of the practice of the six parameters, for example, but in long term, they will lead to great results that will lead to Buddhahood. In that sense, um, maybe use the time now we have and while we have some clarity of mind, some physical strength in order to develop our mind by recalling, reviewing the practice of fortitude. So the practice of fortitude, um, it's for sure uh, not one that I have mastered myself, um, but reviewing it is definitely a great opportunity um, to go a small step further into that direction to develop some fortitude by just you know, remembering the teachings, thinking upon it, discussing it you know, with you together.
So, um, venerable children was teaching on it in, in August, and um, so we finished the first three of generosity, ethical conduct, fortitude, um, joyous effort, and now, no, first two, and now fortitude, and then joyous effort. And um, I would like to combine this review with uh, some teachings by Lama Tsongkhapa from the Lama Mshenmo, as well as uh, a little bit from Venerable Tupinshutan's book, uh, Wheel of Sharp Werden, where she gave, gave a commentary on it, and um, some other sources here and there. So in Lama Mshenmo, Lama Tsongkhapa was anniversary, an anniversary of his Parinavana, which just celebrated, lays, lays out how to study and practice fortitude. And, and there you will find an excellent description how to cultivate, how to practice fortitude on more than 30 pages. So the outline is as follows. Um, if you want to um, read later, um, the section is in volume two on page 151. So the first point is clarify what fortitude actually is. The second is how to begin to cultivate fortitude. The third one, there are three kinds of fortitude. Then the fourth one, how to practice fortitude, and then to summarize all the points. So Venerable Tuppenschutrin, actually, um, she uh, does use the word fortitude instead of patience. Uh, for her, she said patience implies waiting for something, waiting for somebody to shell out. And whereas fortitude uh, implies in English um, uh, making the mind really strong. Yeah. So it's a process of developing inner strength. So that um, if we experience, for example, criticism, insults, and that would normally make us angry, um, here we have the strength not to get angry in return, but rather to stay very firm. So fortitude is inner strength. The definition could be um, uh, laid out as follows: as following, is an fortitude is an undisturbed mind that can bear harm inflicted by others, suffering such as illness and difficulties that we encounter to practice the Dharma. So it can uh, bear harm and difficulties. It's not gritting our teeth. So we accept things and remain firm, clear, and steady without being a feather flowing uh, around uh, in the wind, moved by the wind, by everything that happens to us, uh, every word that somebody says to us. So in, um, the second point uh, regarding how to cultivate fortitude, in Lamram Shemmo, uh, volume 2 on page 153, um, Lama Tsongkhapa quotes Shantideva. An undisciplined person are as limitless as space. You could never overcome them. If you conquer the single mental state of anger, it is like vanquishing all your enemies. Where could you get enough leather to cover the entire surface of the earth? Wearing just the leather of your sandals is like covering all the earth. Similarly, I cannot change external things, but when I can change my state of mind, why do I need to change anything else? The example of uh, covering your shoes with uh, uh, leather uh, rather than covering the whole world uh, is uh, here what he wants to point out. So rather to develop a fortitude within ourselves than expecting the whole world to um, be kind and nice and loving to us all the time, <laughs> what will probably not happen very soon. <laughs> so Lama Tsongkhapa points out first to reflect upon the many benefits of fortitude. So now um, we can discuss what do you think, what are the benefits of fortitude? <laughs> the what goes better? The day goes better. It protects your merit, yes. Better ethical conduct. More peaceful mind. You've got inner, inner peace is there. You're just happier. Mm. You don't harm others. Mm. You get a lot more accomplished. Yeah. 
You will have no enemies in the world. Yes, you have no enemies in the world. If you've been harmed um, and you're patient, you can give people a chance to calm down and recover and maybe um, yeah. compose their minds. Yeah. Better physical health. You won't commit suicide. <laughs> yeah. Basically, your whole mind and your whole life is completely different because you're not plagued by irritation, you're not plagued by um, annoyance, mm. things don't bother you. Mm -hmm. You just float along and do what you need to do. You have more time, you have more enthusiasm, you have more energy. It's a great idea. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. So at the time of death, you won't have any type of guilt or remorse for all the times that you said this and did that, and so it's really guaranteeing you a peaceful death. Yes. And you'll be looking good, too. <laughs> yeah, they say so. I would like to read the eight um, benefits that Lama Tsongkhapa points out. You mentioned some of them. It stops from turning away from others' welfare, protects you from anger, is uh, excellent strength of ascetics who are tormented by afflictions. It's a stream of water that extinguishes the wildfire of malice. It's the armor that can't be pierced by the errors of others' undisciplined persons' misperceptions. Mm -hmm. You like that one, huh? <laughs> A person who is practicing fortitude will be of fine appearance that attracts others to him or her. You keep a joyful attitude, so you will always be happy. Stops miserable rebirth in future. Yeah, that bestows goodness that provide happiness in this and future lives. So yeah, we have been quite good. I would like to share one... Um, short biography of a nun who is the senior of Jangshop Schuling in India. I found this biography on Venomal Schultern's website, Venomal Tupten Latsu. And that's a great example how to practice fortitude uh, in the face of um, difficulties, suffering. She was born in Kham in southwest of Tibet. She became a nun with 12 years. And when the Chinese came uh, into Tibet in 1958 and 59, she moved with her father to Lhasa. And they hoped that they would find a better situation there. But unfortunately, the Chinese came soon after, and too, uh, Lhasa has been occupied. And uh, in March 59, the Tibetans and Chinese, they fought with each other. As you might remember, many Tibetans used this opportunity to... Um, uh, flee to India. Venom Latsu and her father, they didn't manage it in that night. So next morning her father said to her, we have to go now, now's the time. And he asked her to go to their friend's house to get some belongings. And when she came back, she saw that the Chinese occupied her father already. Uh, she couldn't go there. She couldn't say, hey, this is my father. Don't take him with you. She knew about the danger, and she just saw him, you know, um, being taken by the Chinese. And she has had no clue where they put him. Two years, she'd searched the whole Tibet. And finally, uh, after two years, she knew where he was located. And luckily, some Americans came to Tibet, and somehow the Chinese government released some of the more elder, elderly inmates, and one of them was her father. So uh, since China um, regarded religious practice and as useless and religious practitioners as um, parasites on society, they ordered them to do manual work, such as working on the roads, uh, doing road work. Her father and she worked every day, and in the evenings they had to attend some Chinese communist meetings. So they were really tired. Her father was not the youngest one anymore. And so they suffered a lot, but she said that they had to practice very hard not to get angry with the Chinese, as um, this would have been very useless in such a situation, she said. It would have added just more emotional turmoil 
to the physical suffering they had already experienced. Also, she has been clear that her anger would have caused her to lose um, the clarity of mind, and that could have led to wrong decisions and so to more suffering. Yeah. So Lama Tsongkhapa actually instructs us to meditate um, thoroughly on the benefits of fortitude till we have some strong, firm certainty in cause and in the cause and effect relationship. So going further into the disadvantages of uh, not practicing fortitude, what do you think what these are? You are in the bad mood all the time. <laughs> Enemies abound. They're everywhere. They're under every rock, behind every tree, mm-hmm. behind every door. Nobody wants to be around you because you are hard to be with. Mm-hmm. Anger destroys a lot of our merit and um, slows down our progress to accomplishing our spiritual goals. Uh, there's tens- when I'm angry, there's absolutely no clarity in my mind, so my decisions are done impulsively, without mm. thought, without wisdom, mm. and um, repercussions ensue. I can't remember where I read this, but um, one thing that stuck with me is that it, it puts, puts you further and further away from the mind state of the Buddhas, because you're not seeing things how they really are, and because it destroys your merit and lower rebirth, but it just it just distances you from the Buddhas, um, both mm-hmm. their blessings, but also uh, their mind state. Mm-hmm. So you again mentioned some of them. I would like to um, read the ones that Lama Tsongkhapa pointed out. Seven uh, disadvantages. It destroys our virtues. We had that. You will not experience a peaceful and good mind. To joy and happiness you gained before will be difficult to regain. Mm-hmm. You do not sleep well. Others who loved and cared for you previously will forget your kindness and may harm you. Even friends and relatives will get annoyed and leave you. <laughs> also, you gather others with your generosity, they will not stay. So, again, Lama Tsongkhapa encourages us to meditate upon those points uh, until we feel firmly convinced about them. So when Moshirtan continues to explain the three kinds of fortitude, what are these? The fortitude of not retaliating when you are harmed by others. The fortitude to bear suffering. What kind of suffering? Kind of suffering? (laughs) Sickness, difficulties, obstacles along the path. Fortitude to practice the Dharma. Right. So let's go into the fortitude of non-retaliation. Actually, um, that's also what Venerable Shudran focused mostly in her two talks she gave on the three kinds of fortitude. And also when you read in Lama Tsongkhapa's book or in uh, Paponka's uh, Lamrim book, um, the first kind of fortitude is... um, laid out and bigger extents. So, um, like um, Lama Tsongkhapa, so uh, from 30 purchases, I think he spent 12 on that one and only four on the second one and only one on the third one. So, yeah. And Venomo Shutran, really, uh, she, um, she made it very accessible, I found, to um, bring to mind modern examples. Um, like bringing to mind uh, the results of technology, how that um, works. And uh, also, yeah, I think I had a feeling when I listened to her talks in August, but now too when I listened to it the second time, that um, she was really speaking to us from experiences, how we are, and she knows us, and, and she knows her students from afar too, and she knows herself. So that's why she can lay out all facets of this kind of fortitude. Um, I also looked up how Geshe Rappen or Tsongkhapa titled this kind of fortitude just to mm, yeah, have different wordings to understand it maybe better for me as a non-native and 
It was helpful. So Gisharapten says in the essential nectar, what's an outline, a meditation outline, very extensive meditation outline, calls it the patience of unconcerning harming. Or in Lamun Shemmo, it said, disregarding harm done to you. So um, this goes on a personal level, on a uh, um, group level, on an international level. It's the fortitude of being able to um, bear harm without retaliating. Normally, we become very agitated when another person or another being harms us. May it be a human being, an animal, even insects, or even when it's um, justified to some extent. <laughs> Think about it. Um, how many of you have been taught um, to, yeah, to harm somebody back when you have been harmed? Raise your hands, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, nearly everybody, maybe 80% of us. Venerable uh, children taught this kind of fortitude by making us aware of some modern ways of how anger can be provoked and how um, to practice with it. She says, nowadays there are so many new ways to get angry, to get offended. Um, people who don't approve of us because um, of the improved communication such as internet, phone. If you think about bullying, for example, uh, we used to get bullied face-to-face, -face, she said. And now you can be bullied by a huge number of people through the internet, through Facebook, social media, and um, just through email. <laughs> so you need, um, she emphasized that you need to be especially strong to be able to stand up and to face that and not to take it personally. And because we have a tendency to assume that their um, evaluation of us is true. Well, we reject the evaluation as untrue. Mm, but if you look at it, why do we get angry um, if some, something a person said upon us is clearly untrue? What do you think? I have an answer. I was just thinking about that this morning, and I was thinking I need to really look at that more deeply. I didn't... Well, I, I mean, the obvious thing that comes to mind for me is that we're... We have just so much unrecognized attachment to how we think of ourselves and how unrealistically we think of ourselves, actually. So, and I actually think it kind of is, the root of that is more like a kind of pride, but it's really kind of an ignorant pride because I don't really think we're usually on top of it. So we just, on the surface, just react to things. But I, I kind of wanted to think about this quite a lot because it seems like not so obvious to me. We may be worried that other people will believe whatever they're saying and if other people don't like us then we're going to suffer. Mm -hmm. They may not talk to us, they may shut us out, they may call us names, other things. Okay. Venerable oh, helped us. <laughs> um, it uh could be that we have secret doubts, um, that we have that inequality, or is it that we are getting angry because we are concerned that person will um, tell a whole bunch of people uh, about that quality and uh, our reputation will be ruined. Yeah. And sometimes people find it difficult to identify anger as anger. So that's good, yeah, to reflect upon it, as Venerable Tapa said, to look deeper into it. And we don't call that anger rather upset or agitated. Um, some people don't identify that as anger because many people are taught that we are not supposed to get angry um, or your anger, our anger is not acceptable. And uh, those could be causes or even yeah, uh, being in a family where we didn't talk about our emotions didn't learn the words, how to express our feelings, how to label our feelings, but um, how difficult it can be for some people just to acknowledge I'm angry. So I definitely can resonate with that. Um, maybe to share from my experiences, um, oh, yeah, when I recall that is, I the word anger even didn't appear once in my family. There was anger, for sure, a lot of anger. 
but no expression i i wasn't i i wouldn't have bared to say i'm angry it would have caused such turmoil in my family i would have not lived good <laughs> i'm so sure so because they have been not familiar with talking about emotions and mm, yeah any other experiences you would like to share maybe do you have similar experiences or um, different notes of it well um i find the idea that if you look at um when somebody's being critical and insulting whether or not it's true it's it's really helpful you just kind of look through and say well that's not true that's not true and um i got a letter like that yesterday and so it's doing pretty good and then and then the anger came maybe i just shifted it but it came from knowing that this person was possibly building this case to stop me from helping someone else mm -hmm. And then it, it actually, whether it was true or not, it still, my my anger came up. So now I'm going to have to find another antidote for that part of it. But mm -hmm. but I, I but I really did find the part where, okay, that wasn't true. That's just, you know, the parts that really weren't true. It was very comforting to go, well, it's simply not true. So Did you speak about having emotions, feelings in your families? <laughs> My family freely expressed anger, and we knew when we were angry. There was no question about it. We knew it too, and you spoke about we it, spoke but about we didn't it. speak about yeah. it. Good. And we accused each other of it. Okay. <laughs> You're angry. It was interesting. In my family, grown-ups were allowed to get angry, but children couldn't. So they could wail and scream and hit and get really out of control, but the children could not defend themselves or state their positions or say how they were feeling. And then it just seemed to exacerbate the anger. So it was the, it was the authority, the, the folks, the, the big grown-ups that got a chance to do that, and the kids were not allowed. In the country where I grew up my first 11 years, um, They had three education programs for those kind of kids who got angry. <laughs> They had to learn some socialist communist phrases and work hard, plant trees and go to old people and such and recycle glass and paper. What's good? I mean, just distracting them, not getting really to the cause, but in a way um, creating some good things and getting out of themselves a little bit. <laughs> I think Lama Sankapa uh, quoted something by Pudovavod, I found um, speaks for that experience. Um, when a yak has been settled up for carrying goods, if the saddle tightens around his tail, he bucks, bucks, and the saddle beats against his legs. If the saddle is loosened, the straps drop and the yak is happy. Similarly, if you do not relax around harmdoer, the harmdoer matches what you do and you steadily become more unhappy. Does it resonate, resonate with you? Yeah. yeah. So when Roshutan continues, we don't like what a person is doing or misinterpret what they are doing. We are angry but don't identify it with, as anger. Um, we identify it as that person is picking on me, um, mistreats me, that person does all these mean things to me. Familiar? <laughs> yes, for me too. For some people, it's just a blame and they can't see that I'm angry. So it's an easy thing to get stuck in. And she also emphasized that depression is anger turned inwards. And Venomatapa was mentioning that too. So, um, She says that blaming our families are especially strong, is especially strong since Freud, who is from Germany. <laughs> But our emotional response, that's the problem. No, not what the people did to us. So, um, yeah, what happened in the past, it happens, and it's not happening now. But we still, um, we have this kind of... Um, client view, we look, she mentioned, she mm, used the gong, we look at one part of the gong, what we don't see, all the other aspects of it. So, um, you don't see the whole thing. What happened in the past happened, it's finished, it's how I'm thinking about it, and 
what my emotional response is to that that's creating the suffering. Okay, now we are moving into the section of how to practice. I find this book extremely good, Good Karma, um, The Wheel of Sharp, Weapon by, Sharp Weapons by Damarakshita, when I'm sure gave a commentary on that. And um, it's something you can, I can only take first by first. <laughs> it takes a long time because these advices, how to practice, for example, fortitude, are um, yeah, kind of radical. Uh, I'm not grown up with um, some of those, um, as <laughs> all of them, <laughs> actually, um, advices how to um, turn our karma around. Verse 13 quotes, when, when unpleasant words reach my ears, it's a weapon of destructive karma turning, turning upon me. For my verbal offenses, such as divisive speech, from now on I will condemn flawed speech. So our usual reaction to um, criticism or when people talk about us behind our back is to get offenses, even aggressive. We might start uh, to lobby others uh, to be on our side or to talk badly about them. This creates disharmony and plans the seeds for destructive karma. So instead um, of blaming others, the wheel of sharp weapons it teaches us to see that the causes of hearing unpleasant words is in our own um, uh, verbal offenses such as divisive speech. Venom mm. Schutrin says, We may discover that we have harshly blamed others, made false accusations, hurt their feelings, and ruined their ruined their reputation. We have picked faults and gossiped about them. We have deliberately made derogatory comments about others and widely discussed what has was told to us in confidence. Considering what we have said about others, why are we surprised when others speak badly about us? Instead of continuing to misuse our speech, we need to make a determination to counteract the temptation to lie, create disharmony, speak harshly and gossip. In this way, we will have better relationships now and will not create the karma to have continuous relationships, uh, contentious relationships in the future. Yeah. The Buddha taught about ascetic practices. There are four ascetic practices. What are these? Narushuni says fortitude. Is there anybody else who can say something? Yeah. <laughs> Not to return harm with harm. Mm -hmm. Blows with blows. <laughs> Insults with insult. Yeah. Criticism, it says here, points out our, your faults. You don't point out um, their faults when they uh, point out yours. Yeah, that's insults, um, not um, to return insult. And when somebody beats you, not to beat back. Beat them back. Also here, it's mostly the opposite of what we have been taught, right? Most of us. Um, yeah, this is the real practice of inner, um, of confronting our inner enemies. And when our children emphasizes, it's not about stuffing down uh, our emotions or pretending they are not there. It's easy to go there too. This doesn't work. Um, we still have them and they come out in another way. For example, um, yeah, distracting ourselves in a different emotion, um, maybe even disturbance. Mental disturbance, mental sicknesses, physical sicknesses. So the uh, ability to remain steady with people who criticizes us and criticize us is an important ability. Uh, how do we remain steady? There are some ways besides what we discussed already. Well, sometimes when I'm going to be going into a difficult situation or, or in a relationship that's a little tricky for me. Sometimes if I go to my meditation practice, I actually rehearse the situation before it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. 
because I have such a strong propensity to react in a certain way that I've got to get in there and just keep thinking about over and over again how the possible options could be to rehearse an alternative to what I normally do. So I almost have to like walk myself through it like a dress rehearsal before I really do it. Just reading from uh, notes I took when Venerable gave this teaching. So she said, um, we can think that the person is unhappy and their answer to their unhappiness is by uh, is berating and criticizing us. And so instead of uh, being conducive to their happiness, what they're actually doing is uh, creating more suffering for themselves. Yeah. There are two more things she mentioned. Yeah, I wasn't here for Venerable's teaching, but one, one of the teachings I did receive this fall that really stayed with me was um, on this topic was um, to really examine like when I am reactive, how much control do I actually have? Mm. Someone says something to me and my anger flares up. Do I have any, you know, how much control mm. do I have? Mm. And to really pay attention to, um, you know, how, how that's true. Mm. And then to turn that around and go, then how much control do you think the person that you're so angry with has? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This person is completely not, I mean, we, we think they're intending to harm us. We think they're doing something deliberately and mm -hmm. that somehow hurts our feelings and makes us all the, angri all the angrier. But to really pay attention to mm -hmm. the fact that once an affliction has overtaken the mind, None of us has any control. And then we can develop compassion rather than have to have this sense of, of yeah. blame and whatever back to the person mm -hmm. who's like, they're just totally taken over. And it has no meaning whatsoever except that they're out of control. Yeah. It's, I find it very helpful. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, uh, we have another emphasis to, to develop compassion instead. It's more useful than getting away, of course. I remember Venerable was talking about how she says, how one way she works with it is to say, oh, it's good that this person insulted me, meaning it's good that this, this person insulted me and it insults my self-cherishing. Um, I think, uh, uh, personally, I think a person has to be very advanced to do that <laughs> because yeah. otherwise it can just become a way that we use the Dharma to hurt ourselves mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. you know, c uh, contribute to our low self-esteem. So, if if one's clear and ready for that practice, then driving all blames into one mm -hmm. is really what it's talking about. That to really see that we need to, it's self cherishing is or self centered thought self -centered, is the yeah. cause of a lot of our suffering combined with self grasping and and so if we're hurt, it's probably the self centered thought that's mm -hmm. squirming. Yeah, we can do analysis and try and find where the harm is in the words that were spoken towards us mm -hmm. and see that. There's nothing inherent. There's no inherently existent harm um, that, that we're actually reacting to, mm -hmm. and that can diffuse it a little bit. And um, Tonglan, where you can try to imagine taking on the suffering of other people who are as miserable as you when you're that angry, <laughs> yep. and may that mm -hmm. suffice for their anger. Yeah, when I will also say, ask yourself what they said. Is that true? Um, there are only two answers, yes or no. <laughs> so if it's true, yeah, then why don't I just say you are right? Um, uh, it's, you know, I shouldn't say it. It's like you have a nose in your face, and if it's true, why you're getting mad when somebody says you have a nose in the face? Um, in your face, if somebody criticizes or blames us, why do we get so angry? They are misinformed. Why do I need to get angry towards somebody who is misinformed, we may need to go and correct them. Why do we need to get angry at them? So yeah, to summarize this kind of fortitude, it's um, fortitude means, uh, she translates it, and uh, it's not a, a big deal to us, actually, when we really practice it. Fortitude is to stop seeing it as harm, um, have compassion, having a kind heart, and admit our mistakes. I don't have to defend myself against um, things that are true. So if somebody insulted, blamed us, um, I see it as seeing the object of negation. Rebecca referred to see it as wheel of sharp weapon coming full turn, um, cuts out anger and upset. 
think it's good they ruined, ruined my reputation. It's, uh, it helps to cut pride. It really hurt my self-centered thought. It's good to think like that. Yeah. And there are many more um, good antidotes that we will find in healing anger by the Dalai Lama or working with anger with... 67 antidotes, something pointed that out. <laughs> so, yeah, if you really, really want to get into it, there we are, working with anger. <laughs> and I think I, I really concluded um, so far uh, that, yeah, it's really essential. You can't, you, you can't really practice if you don't have fortitude. <laughs> um, Yeah, if you don't have generosity, okay, you know, but fortitude, <laughs> I mean, if you don't give generously, you have sometimes the result of not having enough to practice the Dharma, but if you have a moment of anger, it can destroy so much, um, especially if it's turned towards realized beings or your teacher, you know, it's immediate effect. So what's the second fortitude? What was it? <laughs> Physical illness, enduring suffering, physical illness, yes. pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, from illness, injury, difficult situations. Yeah, when I'm a, Samke gave a beautiful motivation this morning about one resident here who um, took on some surgeries in the past and just recently and who goes through a lot of physical pain due to that and This last surgery is probably the most painful surgery she had so far, and she is um, quite calm, peaceful about it. She takes it. She practices this kind of fortitude of um, enduring the suffering. Gisharapten says uh, um, this kind of suffering, uh, the essential nectar calls it the, or the fortitude of willingly bearing suffering, and in Lamram Shemot says accepting the suffering arising in your mind stream. So, um, how are we going to respond normally when illness, injury comes to our body? How do we often react? <laughs> you cry? <laughs> strong aversion. Strong aversion, yeah. I have fear, anger. Catastrophizing. Rose me. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we blame others. Um, it's others' fault. Similarly, with mental suffering, such as having uh, mood. Um, what is basically below that? When we have, um, when we blame another person, when we have mental suffering or physical suffering, and we turn, turn towards the outside. Some kind of denial. It's very simple. I just <laughs> ask a question from a different angle. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's what I wanted to turn towards. It's a discharge of anger. Yeah. Anger is below blaming somebody else. Oh, yeah. Uh, Wheel of Sharp Weapon, again, first uh, 45. Out. In brief, when calamities befall me like balls of lightning, it's a weapon of destructive karma returning upon me, just like the iron smith slains his own sword. sword. Um, from now on, I will be heedful of non-virtuous acts. When I'm sure comments on that, when we fall ill, when someone dies, When plans created with painstaking care don't work out, we are surprised. It seems like calamities before me like bolts of lightning because we believe life is not supposed to be like that. Especially when we live in a wealthy country that is relatively peaceful, it's easy to take your, our good circumstances for granted. However, as long as we are in cyclic existence, unsatisfactory experiences and outright suffering will naturally come to us. Suffering is not a punishment and it does not indicate failure. It's simply the weapon of destructive karma returning upon us like an iron smith, smith slain by his own sword. The smith crafted the third, third 
in order to earn a living but was killed by his own creation. Similarly, we do harmful actions thinking they will further our ambitions, but they plant the seeds for our misery. So, um, Venerable Schütteln was emphasizing um, some options how we could react instead of um, having all these, uh, all this anger and um, disturbances in our mind. For example, when we are ill, what can we practice? We can be kind, just be kind. And I remember that she shared a, a story from a, uh, a friend told her when she got sick and she got very anxious about that, um, fearful, because the teacher told her that uh, a high lama apparently who had some abilities to see, to forecast her life a bit, said um, that she will have uh, many years of sickness and it could even end in death. And she was very fearful. And... Um, uh, she decided, she turned her mind around and decided, okay, um, I have, I've, I'm now facing that, I can't turn it around immediately, um, but what I can do, I can be kind to myself right now, and I can be kind to all these people who are going to help me in the hospitals, to all the nurses, the doctors, the technicians, and it helped, it turned her mind totally around, and I also remember when Jigma shared once this story, and I myself too, I remember when I had my surgery on my appendix um, when I practiced Tongnan. It was just, actually, it was one of the best life moments of my life. <laughs> you know, I didn't know if I would wake up afterward because I was really, yeah, it was really uh, at the edge. And um, But Tongnan helped me. I was not fearful at all and joyful instead. And when Majikme had similar experiences with the surgery she had on her heart. And yeah, it works. So we also can think that this is the ripening of our own harmful karma. It's better to be sick than experiencing the whole realm. Um, by comparing it how that karma could have ripened, we can elevate it. We can also see uh, what resources we have. We get in the community, for example, now we have a sick person here, and there's a lot of resources where um, this person gets support. Yeah, uh, and we actually can realize when we practice like that that we can handle it. What else can we apply to practice fortitude um, of enduring suffering? The other thing about practicing with those with obstacles and mental suffering is it brings us back to understanding that the nature of samsara itself mm-hmm. to shatter our illusions about uh, how things should be for one yes. thing, mm-hmm. and also uh, any uh, what they call it the allures of cyclic existence, and to mm-hmm. really get that this is what we want to be determined ourselves to be free from this kind of suffering and more subtle ones too. The follow on, it's the only way we can develop Mm -hmm. compassion is by experiencing suffering and Mm -hmm. then realizing others are in the exact same position. Yeah. Yeah. Um, In this book, Good Karma, um, after each commentary by Venomous Schutran, or nearly after uh, each first and its commentary, she emphasized that um, Tongnan is a really good practice to apply for that. So, yeah, we take on the suffering, use it to destroy our self-centeredness and give our happiness, our body possessions, would you? The other thing that I've found that Tonglin is that when when I get physically or mental, I have that kind of suffering, there's a kind of an isolating, there's kind of a loneliness that happens to it. Like the mind goes to the default that says, I'm really the only one that's having this problem. Right. So yeah. it's about the self-centeredness, but there's also something about including yourself in the family of beings that there isn't any being that is not going through something similar, if not worse. So mm-hmm. there's this kind of connectedness, there's sort of this interdependence, this simpatico, this befriending thought that mm-hmm. we're all in this together and this is just part of the deal, like Venerable Chuni said. So, and, and by not being feeling so isolated and like it's all about me, then there's this opening and this softening around the, the suffering mm-hmm. itself and it does really help the situation. Yep. What's the third kind of fortitude? In... Geshe Rappen's book, it says, patience of certain thought in the Dharma means having 
unchanging faith in the three jewels and a strong determination to practice. Lamam Shenmo says, being certain about the teachings and firmly maintaining belief in it. So sometimes when we practice the Dharma, it can be very difficult. Sometimes just to get to teachings, um, you have to overcome physical difficulties. Um, she also mentioned, <laughs> you know, when we live here in the monastery, there are several things that are not so easy to take, practicing the Dharma. So, um, but she emphasized that we can't wait till the suffering goes away to practice the Dharma. Um, we will never learn the Dharma if we approach it like that. Do you have personal examples <laughs> how you practice this kind of fortitude? Yeah? Uh-huh. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Your car is... Oh, okay. So you came up here and you took the challenge of walking up and your car is now in a ditch. Mm -hmm. uh, so right at the edge. Okay. Some experiences here from every life, community life, that you would like to share, that others could enjoy hearing. <laughs> being with the precepts, um, so not being able to turn to refuges that I enjoyed turning to before. What comes to mind is music. I really miss listening to music. And other, like, personal relationships. So, interacting with people differently. Yeah. Well, Venerable said, I, I put that as part of a, a thing that I've been thinking about, that she says that the Dharma challenges us as to who we think we are when you get involved in the practice, they don't hold water. So just coming here to the Abbey, all the the facades that I had to prop myself up, yeah. you know, they just get torn down <laughs> over and over again. You know, because I think what the Dharma really asks us to be is real, to be real, authentic, sincere people. And I didn't realize till I met the Dharma how much I was fabricating a person that didn't exist even conventionally. Mm. You know, so it really does tear down the, the misconceptions and the false perceptions of oneself, you know, really quite strongly. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, in The Essence of Refined Gold by the Sir Dalai Lama, it says, recognizing that the power of the three jewels and the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas is inconceivable, appreciate the value of Bodhisattva's activities and appreciate meditation upon emptiness. Practice the patience that is certain of Dharma and wishes to train to be a Bodhisattva. In 2008, I wasn't here yet, but Venmo Shodan gave a commentary on that text. Um, she wasn't um, too much uh, speaking, teaching upon this third kind of fortitude in, in her teachings here. That's why I pulled out something from there to make it a little bit more clear. Um, what this fortitude is counteracting, uh, she says, is some kind of fear or resistance we might have to the Dharma. For example, when we think about the Bodhisattva's deeds, they are inconceivable and we might get um, anxious, fearful. It takes some fortitude to let the idea of doing some of those Bodhisattva deeds settle into our mind, or if we meditate upon emptiness, she says, some people have fear here and and um, because if you, are really, uh, if you really start doing the meditation uh, where you touch the inner feeling of yourself, it takes some time, some courage, some fortitude to meditate upon emptiness. So it also needs fortitude just hearing the Dharma because um, questions, doubts um, may come up. Otherwise, if you don't practice fortitude, um, we may maybe um, give it up at all because we have all these doubts of fear coming doubts of fear coming up so we need fortitude when difficulties come up in our mind when practicing the dharma also um, physical suffering um, difficulties may arise when practicing the dharma for example when doing all these um, nandros um, prostrating 100,000 uh, 111 <laughs> and or all these um, uh, mandala offerings, also holding the mandala is quite heavy over a long period of time. And yeah, or as Tracy mentioned, tra traveling a long distance or, you know. Um, sometimes you have to travel far to teachings, but if you really 
consider the value of the Dharma then um, and weighed it, you know, what is most important um, than to take on the physical suffering. It's of a rather short-term um, suffering. So, summary, enduring physical and mental hardships for the benefit of the Dharma. Um, she said, uh, one way to do that is keep showing up. And that's the phrase here at the Abbey, actually. Or oh, it was nowadays. I don't know anymore. But it was uh, in previous years when I came here. Um, for example, just showing up for prayer, showing up for meditation uh, every day, morning, evening, showing up for offering service. Uh, I remember that in the beginning years of my stay here, we had much more done together, and like working in the forest, going for nap weeds and coops. Um, and we uh, did that because we had... Uh, vision uh, to help the Dharma flourish here and part of you know going in the forest is um, part of it just protecting the abbey and also we need to take care of our bodies it's just a side effect to have a strong body um, <laughs> I mean you can see it like that it's our um, exercise room <laughs> and also for the mind it's uh, now when our children goes to the forest um, to rest I, I guess mm, to relax a little bit so yeah, and we inspire others by practicing like that, by showing up. We have an impact on each other. Yeah, um, to bring it to a conclusion, I would like to share um, Tsongkhapa's collection of good qualities of um, um, suffering, actually. Uh, that's quite interesting. So normally we reject suffering, um, uh, take it not very easily. Uh, reflecting upon the good qualities of suffering might help a little bit to ease that. So there are five good qualities. And the good quality of um, spurring you onto liberation, number one, this is because if you had no suffering, you would not develop the determination um, um, be free to be free of it. Second, the good quality of dispelling arrogance. This is because when suffering strikes you, it reduces your sense of superiority. Third, the good quality of causing you to shun sin or um, to produce negative actions. Um, this is because when you experience very painful feelings, they arise from non-virtue. So if you do not want these effects, you must avoid their causes. Fourth, the good quality of causing you to um, like cultivating virtue. This is because when you are tormented with suffering, you desire happiness, and once you want it, you must cultivate the virtue that causes it. Five, the good quality of producing compassion for those who wander in cyclic existence. This is because after you have assessed your own situation, you think other beings suffer like this. From these five, uh, he concludes, and what they indicate, recognize other good qualities on your own and then repeatedly train your mind to think, this suffering is a condition that I want. And in the Songs of Experience by Lama Tsongkhapa, he says, Patience is the best ornament of real heroes, a supreme self-mortification, um, or what can you use instead of that? Um, Self-mortification, is there another word? It's not a word really. Um, to overcome afflictions. The Garuda bird to destroy the snake of anger. Amor to protect you from the errors of criticism. Knowing this in every way, familiarize yourself with the armor of patience supreme. I hope you could at least understand 95% of this review. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> okay, any comments? Any final? Yeah. I was quite inspired to read in uh, Gaelic Rinpoche's um, commentary on Shanti Davis' um, yeah. Bodhisattva Way of mm -hmm. Life, where he related the first time that Shakyamuni Buddha generated Bodhicitta was in the hell realms where mm -hmm. he was pulling the cart with another other person and reflecting on with compassion on the other person oh. and then the hell administrators could know his mind uh -huh. and they mocked him and they beat him and then 
on the spot he died. And that was the end of his suffering in hell because he generated bodhicitta and, and that was mm-hmm. the result. So uh, quite, quite inspiring to see how suffering can t- yeah. not be a bad thing. Yes. Yeah. And this is uh, a verse from Shanti Deva that I keep remembering reminding myself, is there is nothing at all that does not become easier with practice. There from accepting small problems, you'll be able to bear great difficulties. Yes, going step by step. Thank you so much.